Amen. I don't know if you've thought uh, when you are singing that song of the reality that you're preaching to your soul, oh, my soul, arise, go to Jesus, go to God. Uh, we, we have to preach that reality to our hearts because there is a fear that we have in going. There is something that would hold us back from going. And that's why the answer is God owns you as his child. You have a great high priest. You have a spotless sacrifice. You have the ability to go to him. But so often there are realities in our life, in our hearts, that keep us from going to him. I wonder how you would answer that question this morning. What keeps you from going to him? What has kept you back from running to him? Mark, throughout his gospel so far, has been showing us over and over and over again, Jesus is king. And he's king over everything. He has authority in his teaching. He has authority over the demons. He has authority over physical sickness. He has authority over people and uh, creates a kingdom and draws citizens into his kingdom. We have seen over and over again the authority of Jesus. And so we come here to the end of Mark chapter 1 to a section where Jesus is going to heal someone. And I have to ask the question, Mark, why are you including this? Because you already showed us that Jesus has the power to heal. He has the power over sickness and over creation and over disease. And I think that as we go through this text, I believe that we will be reminded of even what we just sang. There are things that hold us back. There is something that even could have kept this leper back from going to Jesus. And yet he preached to his soul, soul arise and go. There are many reasons why we struggle to go to Jesus. And I think that Mark is answering one of those questions here at the end. He has shown us that Jesus is king. And that's an amazing reality. And praise the Lord that he is king. But there is a question mark in my mind as I read through Mark. And the question is this. And it's a question not just in Mark. It's a question in all of life. Okay, God, I know you're king. But are you good. You might have all the authority, all the power in the world, but that won't work for my advantage and for my good if you're not good. How can I trust you if you're not good? Reminds me of that section in Chronicles of Narnia that we've talked about before when Lucy finds out that she's going to be meeting Aslan, who is the king of Narnia, and he is not a man, but he's a lion, and she's terrified. And she asks uh, Mr. Beaver, who she's talking to about Aslan, is he safe? He's a lion. Is he safe? He obviously has all the power in the world. He's king, but is he safe? And you remember the response from Mr. Beaver. He laughs and says, of course he isn't safe. He's a lion. Of course he's not safe. But then he says two things that I think Mark would say to our hearts today. But he's good and he's the king. Mark is going to prove to us through this account this morning that Jesus is not only king and has authority over all things, 
but he is good. Let's read our section this morning. Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. A leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas. And they were coming to him from everywhere. These are the words of our gracious God. Let's ask his blessing on our time this morning as we give careful attention to him this morning. God, thank you so much for this account in Mark's gospel. Thank you for Peter remembering it. Thank you for him sharing it with Mark so that Mark could write it down. Thank you for the Holy Spirit perfectly giving us exactly what it is that we're to have to see this morning. And we come desperate hungry, needy beggars into your presence. We don't even realize how needy we are. And so, Father, I pray even through this text, you would remind us of our own needs and then remind us of your character, that we'd be transformed by beholding Christ, even as we just sang, oh, my soul arise, behold the risen Christ, your great high priest. May we get up and go to him today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would graciously open our eyes to behold the wonderful things from your law, to see Christ. And I pray that all of us would be surprised by his grace this morning, shocked by his compassion. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45 deal with this precious man who is a leper. He's a man that I feel like I know very well. I've spent a lot of time with him this last week. And, and what I want to do is I want to just let this story wash over our hearts as we see the transforming effect of God's grace. Verse 40, a leper comes to Jesus. A leper if you're unfamiliar with that disease, you will be unaffected by this account. Leprosy, the Greek word lepra in uh, the original, it covered a range of many different skin diseases, uh, but the worst of them all was a disease called Hansen's disease, and it's very likely that this man had that. Hansen's disease, what we think of when we think of uh, official leprosy today, it has been studied by a man by the name of Dr. Paul Brand. He has done thorough research on leprosy. You can read his works. I've read uh, a couple sections of books that he has written because he also worked. He's a doctor and he worked with a pastor named Philip Yancey. They worked together on kind of the medical and the pastoral understanding of leprosy. 
Dr. Paul Brand did uh, just outstanding research on Hansen's disease in recent years. And he found something to be true about this disease that we hadn't really known up until his discovery. We used to think that it was a skin disease because uh, someone who has leprosy, their skin, it, it looks infected, it looks rotted out. There are parts of your body that just fall off. And so we just tended to think it was a skin disease. And what Dr. Paul Brand figured out is that it's not just a skin disease, it's actually a, a disease that affects your nervous system. So it affects the, uh, the nerve endings that you feel pain with, that you're able to understand if you've bumped into something, if you've touched something hot, all of that defense mechanism that God has installed in our bodies through our nervous system is deadened and completely removed through leprosy. So you might wash your face, but you're washing your face with scalding hot water and you wouldn't even know that the damage is done until you look at yourself in the mirror and see that you've burned the skin on your face. You might rub your fingers across a heated stove. You wouldn't know it until you see that you've burned the ends of your fingers off. Even back in uh, Jesus's time uh, and even beyond that, uh, vermin would crawl around knowing that there were people who had leprosy because they could bite off the ends of their fingers or toes and they wouldn't wake up during the night, they'd be asleep. The vermin would crawl in, they'd bite off, they'd eat the ends of their fingers and toes, but they wouldn't wake up because they wouldn't feel that it was happening. And because of that, you would have all of these places where it's, it looks like your skin has rotted out. It's been described as death by inches. It was the disease that you feared the most back then. There's really no comparable disease in modern times to what leprosy was back in the day. Maybe the closest that you could come to is the way that AIDS was kind of understood in the uh, 80s and 90s, early 90s. Um, that, that's probably the closest we could come to of fear about a disease, but nothing holds a candle to how devastating it would be if you found out that you had leprosy. There was no cure. There was no hope. In fact, in the entire Bible, there's only four accounts of somebody being healed uh, from leprosy. In the Old Testament, there's two accounts. In the New Testament, there's two accounts of healing of leprosy happening. That's it. The rabbis used to say that to heal a man from leprosy was as hard as raising somebody from the dead. And compound, compounding the reality of the disease afflicting you was what happened once you had it. Once you were diagnosed, you were banished. You could just write this down, Leviticus chapter 13 Verses 45 through 46 details what would happen. You would have to change your appearance. You had to, you were required by the law of Moses to change your appearance, to look as repugnant as possible. You wanted to make sure that everyone around you knew, don't come near to me. You had to yell, unclean, unclean, as loud as you could. If you saw anybody coming close to you, you were, uh, you had to stay a hundred feet, at least a hundred feet uh, removed from people. You could not go to the temple. You had to isolate yourself. So you were isolated from people, from society, from culture, and from God himself. And because of that, many people thought that if you had leprosy, it was actually because of something that you did and God was punishing you for it. So not only a physical stigma and being isolated as an outcast, but now also a spiritual stigma. That's this man, isolated. He's a man with leprosy. That's his identification. His identity is being defined by his disease. Luke chapter five talks about this miracle. 
And Luke, the doctor, says that he was full of leprosy, meaning that the leprosy had run its course. There's no coming back from this. There's no need for a detailed description of his appearance because if you've ever seen pictures of what leprosy can do, you know this man looked awful and it has gone through his entire body. He's cut off from everyone. He's a living dead person. He's socially outcast and he's spiritually cut off. That's this man. And it says in verse 40 that he came to Jesus. He came to Jesus. And when you read that, if you are a first century Jewish person, unrolling a scroll, looking at this account, and you read a leper came to Jesus, you would recoil in fear. You'd say, no, you don't do that. If you have leprosy, you do not do this. He doesn't just come up to Jesus. He runs up to him. Other texts tell us, falling on his knees, beseeching Jesus. You're supposed to yell, unclean, unclean, and stay as far away as possible. And this man runs to Jesus. This man had probably heard of Jesus healing others. And with some strange sensation of hope in his heart, he thinks, man, if there is, there's any possibility that I can be healed, it's this man, Jesus. Maybe it's a hope that he had never felt in a very, very long time. And so he risks everything. He's breaking laws. He's breaking uh, customs. He's breaking every social protocol. He's breaking everything and risking everything to be healed. He falls on his knees, begging Jesus, beseeching him. And he says this, listen to his words carefully. If you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Notice what he's processing here. I know you have the power. I know you can. That's not my question. The leper is just full admission. You have the, the authority and the power. You can do this. There's no uh, difficulty in you healing me. You have the power. But do you have the willing? Do you have the desire? Do you have the compassion? It's up to you. I know you're powerful. I just don't know if you're compassionate. And to that question immediately Mark gives us the answer. Verse 41, moved with compassion. Jesus stretches out his hand. Moved with compassion, moved with pity. It's a word that means in your very bowels, you feel for this individual. Some translations say filled with compassion, meaning he's filled to overflowing. It's just spilling out. Whatever spills out proves what we were filled with. The only way you overflow with compassion is if you're filled with compassion and Jesus is filled with compassion. Luke chapter 15 verse 20 uses the same word here for compassion where the father in the story of the prodigal son is filled with compassion towards his son coming home. Jesus is filled with compassion when he sees this man. There are a whole host of other words we could have put in there. Filled with disgust, filled with apprehension, recoiling with fear and terror. I don't want to be close to you. You look awful. I don't want to be near you. But he is filled with compassion when he sees this man, not with disgust when he sees his condition. And then, moved with compassion, Jesus does something 
that's even more shocking than the leper coming to him. He stretches out his hand and he touches him. Again, first century Jewish person reading this scroll, when he sees the leper running, Jesus would say, no, 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 you don't do that. And then when he sees, sees Jesus touching the leper, you'd be saying, no, you do not do that. He's going to get the disease. He touches him. The, the word for touching can be translated to take hold of. So it's not just like barely touching, it's holding on to. Why does he do this? Well, let's just be clear. He didn't need to do this. He didn't have to do this. He could have just spoken, be healed. But he stops and he touches the leper. How long has it been since this man has been touched? How long has it been since somebody put their arm around him? Jesus says, I don't care about the ceremonial law. He defies the ceremonial law, meaning he has authority over that too. And he touches him. Mark is going to give us eight different miracles where Jesus touches the individual that he's healing. We already saw one where he touches Peter's mother-in-law. He takes her by the hand. Again, there's no need for Jesus to do this. He's doing it because he delights in doing this. He does this because he knows this will communicate love, compassion, nearness, affection and intimacy. And so he touches him and he says, I am willing. We don't know how he says that. Can't wait to watch the DVD when I get to heaven one day. But I just see Jesus smiling and with tears in his eyes, ecstatic over this reality that he gets to show not only this man that he has power, the man knew that, he gets to show him that he's overflowing with compassion. I am willing to be cleansed. And immediately, verse 42, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Now that seems redundant. Why does it say the leprosy left him and he was cleansed? Because exactly like what we saw last Lord's Day when we were looking at Peter's mother-in-law being healed, she's healed of her disease and she gets up and starts serving. She starts cooking and feeding of the people that were in her, in her house. Why does Mark include this detail? Because Jesus is not just a really good doctor. If he's a really good doctor and he heals Peter's mother-in-law, so he'll be lying, uh, recovering on that bed for weeks, maybe months, and then she'll be able to get up with very little energy, but at least she's on the mend. Not so with Jesus. When he performs a miracle, he takes care of the problem and the effects of the problem are instantly gone. So too with this man. The leprosy is gone. Immediately the leprosy left him. But then he's cleansed. That word for cleansed can mean to make clean, to purify, to heal. And it can also be used to mean to restore. And what Mark is telling us is not only is the leprosy gone, but all the effects of that leprosy, he's restored. Fingers that have been rubbed off or uh, his nose that's fallen off or ears that are bleeding and scabbed, all restored. And he's healed. Instantly, perfectly restored. 
Everyone would have been terrified. His disciples around him watching this as he goes to touch this man would have been terrified because this man's uncleanliness is going to impact Jesus. And Jesus says, not so. My cleanliness will overpower this man's uncleanliness. When Jesus touches this man, Jesus is not in danger of becoming unclean. The leprosy is in danger of being destroyed. And it is. And again, just imagine in your mind, there's a little tiny group of people around this man and they watch as this man is instantly restored, face back to normal, hands back to normal. And he has been saying for years, unclean, unclean. And now he says for the very first time in a long time, I'm clean, I'm clean. Probably showing himself to Peter. Look at this, touch me. And Peter's going, I'm not sure. I'm clean. This is what happens to those who humbly cry out for help. It's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful account. But then verse 43, the tone seems to abruptly change. If we're honest, it it looks really weird. Jesus changes his tone in such a way that it's very interesting. Matthew and Luke's account of this do not include his abrupt change in tone. It's almost like, you know what? This story is amazing. Let's not include what happens after that. It says literally, verse 43, he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. That word sent him away. We've seen that word earlier in Mark chapter one. It's that word ek balo. Balo meaning to throw and ek meaning out. Get out of here to throw away. And we saw it earlier when the Holy Spirit ek balloed Jesus into the wilderness, threw him out into the wilderness. Here we see Jesus doing that with this leper who is a leper no more. Why does he do this? Why does he give this warning? Why does he send him away? Why? Well, we saw this a little bit last Lord's Day. Jesus didn't want any miracle to distract from his ultimate goal, which is going to the cross and dying for us. He knows that we can be attracted to him for the wrong reason. So he wants to leave before this huge crowd will gather around him. And he doesn't want this man causing a stir that will keep him from preaching the gospel. What is most important, namely Jesus preaching the gospel, is going to be eclipsed by a very good thing, which is healing. It's just not the best thing. And so Jesus gives a warning and sends him away. Don't say anything to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest Offer cleansing for what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. I love this. Jesus just in the previous verse defied the ceremonial law by touching this unclean man. And now he says, hey, abide by the ceremonial law. Go to the priest and show yourself to be clean, to be healed. Why? Because this will enable this man to enter society again, to be a part of the people and to be a testimony to the people about the grace and kindness of God. But notice the order. I have cleansed you, now go do something. Notice that gospel order. I have done this for you. I did all the work. You couldn't clean yourself. I cleansed you. Now go do something. Not go do something and then I'll cleanse you. Jesus graciously says, I will do it apart from any deserving or working that you could possibly give. Verse 45, but... But just like all of us, 
who spiritually have been cleansed by Jesus. And we decide, you know what? That's awesome, Jesus. I know that you were telling me to do that. I have a better idea. I have a better way. Just like us, this man seems to think he knows better than the God of the universe. And he goes out and he began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but he stayed out in unpopulated areas. That's what my Bible says, unpopulated. That's just the, the same word for wilderness, for desert, that he was in uh, with, the, with the devil being tempted. Um, that word for wilderness, same word when he's in the desolate place uh, where he's praying. That's the same word here. He's thrown out into the wilderness and everyone's coming from all over the place to be with him. This man, this leper who is a leper no more, in spreading the news of Jesus is actually hindering Jesus's work. And I find this fascinating. You might think, well, it's always a good idea to tell people about Jesus. And the answer is yes. But I think that there are ways in which we tell people about Jesus that actually can be a hindrance to his work. If we speak with pride, if we speak with criticism towards others and their ideologies, if we speak with a sense of rudeness or divisiveness, we can actually portray, in speaking about Jesus, we can portray an incorrect understanding of him in a way that actually hinders his work, just like this man is doing. And because this man went out and ignored Jesus's command, which I, I, I sympathize with this leper. Uh, how can you not? You'd have to cover up. And when people say, uh, hi, hi, Joe, is that you, Joe? Hi, Joe. You have to, no, it's not me. And just walk really quickly and get out. Of like, I sympathize with him. Why do you say, look what happened to me? The Savior has healed me. But because of this man's disobeying the command of Jesus, this paragraph concludes with the unthinkable. Jesus has traded places with the leper. At the beginning of the story, the leper could not go anywhere. He was stuck, confined to a location away from everyone. At the beginning of the story, Jesus was free to go anywhere. But now Jesus is confined to the wilderness whereas this leper can go anywhere he pleases. And the story concludes, and remember, there are no chapter divisions. That's why instantly in the original, there's no chapter divisions. That's why instantly you're going to go to a very familiar miracle where the house is filled to the brim such that no one can walk into the door. Jesus is preaching. That's why he came. And yet people are there for healing and so the, the friends carry the man up on to the roof, drop him in, the paralytic drop through the roof to be healed. So we already see the effect of this leper's disobedience. And the point of all of this, Mark is writing to show the power and authority of Jesus. He is the king and he is good. He is filled with compassion. That's the point of chapter one. That's really the point of the book. But as we end, it might be easy for us to miss how his power and his compassion have been applied to us. We look at this text and we think, well, I don't have leprosy. I have never been physically healed by Jesus. How does this apply to me? And we might look at this leper and say, well, good for you. 
but I'm not in your shoes. And in reading through this text and meditating on it, I actually think we're more like this man than we would care to admit. I actually think we're in greater need than this man is. This man came to Jesus with a physical problem. You and I have a spiritual problem. He had leprosy on his skin on the outside. We have leprosy as it were in our very souls. Sin has affected our ability to feel, to understand what evil is, our ability even to love Jesus. And yet he stands ready with open arms to heal us spiritually. So my question is, why do so many not go to Jesus? I think there's a number of answers, even in what we're seeing with this leper. I think there's a number of answers that this leper can kind of shed light on with why we tend to not go to Jesus. Number one, some people don't know their need. Some people don't know their spiritual need. It would be as if this leper looked at himself and said, I don't even know that I have leprosy. Some people think because they can't see their spiritual need in a physical sense. They can't see scabs. They can't see sores. They think they're fine. It's common to think I'm okay morally and spiritually, but in actuality, we all have sin-stained leprous souls. Some people don't know their need. Of course, they're not going to go to Jesus for healing because they don't even know that they need it. And by the grace of God, we have been given his word to help people understand, to understand ourselves, that we are desperately in need of a savior. We are sinners condemned to hell because of our sin, desperately in need of salvation. A second group of people know their need, but they don't want to admit it. A second group of people, what stops them from going to Jesus is that they know their need, but they don't want to admit it. We develop so many different ways to cover up our spiritual need. We have moral relativism. Well, I know I'm not that good, but I'm better than so-and-so. And so God's going to grade on a curve and I'm doing better than they are. We excuse our sin. We have so much pride that we can't even admit when we are sinners, when we are struggling with sin which is so ironic because so often we choose to not see the uncleanness in our own selves, even though everyone around us can see it. Everyone around us says, you have leprosy of soul. I see it, I know it, and it's awful, and it's wretched, and you need help. And we, we walk around and we go, no, I don't. You're seeing incorrectly. I don't need it. Question is, will you admit it? Will you admit that you have a sin-stained soul? Some of us don't go to Jesus because we don't want to be embarrassed. I'm, I'm hideous. Help me. We don't want to be embarrassed. But you can't be cleansed by Jesus and save face. Those are impossible realities. You don't come to Jesus saying, I have a little, you know, owie. Like our kids would say, I have a little owie. Can you give me a Band-Aid? And for those of you parents who look at your kids when they do that, you're like, where is the owie? I can't even see it. There's no blood. There's no scratch. What are you even talking about? That's not how we come to Jesus. We come to Jesus saying, I need a new heart. So many people don't want to do that. Some people don't come to Jesus because they don't know their needs. Some people don't come to Jesus because they know their need, but they don't want to admit it. Still others, a third category, know and admit their need for Jesus, but they don't believe that God is powerful enough to do anything. This is kind of what the leper felt, but flipped around. God, I know you want to forgive me. You are compassionate. You want to heal me, 
but I don't think that you can. And this leads to works-based righteousness. This leads to us saying, God will do his best and then I'll do the rest. God, you did something for me. Thanks for dying, but I have to take it from here and I will work as hard as I can and I will do what you could not. Now, we would never say that, but functionally we live that out. We think I need to do something to pitch in. Sometimes we think that our sin is so evil, so hideous, so deep, so profound, which it is. But then we think about God and we think God is unable to deal with it. We think he's up in heaven going, man, I wish I could do something. I just don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do with your sinfulness. Brothers and sisters, it is a fight of faith to believe that you can actually be forgiven. And just as Jesus's cleanliness was more powerful than the man's uncleanliness and overtook it, so too Jesus's Holiness and power is way more contagious than our sinfulness. So some people don't know their need. Some people know their need and they don't admit their need. Some people know their need and admit it, but don't think that Jesus is powerful enough to do anything about it. And finally, number four, a fourth category. Some people know and admit their need, but they don't believe that God is compassionate enough to do anything. Some people think, I have a need, but God's not powerful enough. He wishes he could help me, but he's just not powerful enough. And then other people like this leper say, I know you're powerful enough. I just don't know if you want to. I just don't know if you want to. The leper was convinced of Jesus's power, but he wasn't convinced of Jesus's compassion. I know that you can, he said. I just don't know if you will. Maybe you're here this morning and you would say the same thing spiritually that the leper saying physically. Maybe you're saying, I know that God can forgive. He's all powerful. I just don't know if he will. I don't know if he wants to. I don't know if he loves me. Sometimes we often think that God is hard on us because he is holy or he's cruel to us because he is righteous. This text is reminding us to never pit Jesus's mercy with his power. Never pit his compassion and his ability. But it takes faith to believe this. To believe that God has more forgiveness in himself than we have sins to be forgiven. It comes out in little phrases that we say sometimes. We'll say something like, I just don't know if I can forgive myself. And that sounds very humble. I've done something so wrong, I don't know if I can forgive myself. That sounds very humble. But it's not humility, it's pride. Because you think that your sin is bigger than either Jesus' power or his compassion. You think that your sin exceeds his love for you. And if you're here this morning and you've ever felt that, maybe you're feeling that right now as I'm saying that. Here's what the leper would say to you. God's compassion will always exceed your sinfulness. You may, you may think my sin exceeds his compassion and this leper would say, no, it does not and it cannot ever. This leper would agree with what Richard Sibb said, there is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. We are never in danger of exhausting Jesus's mercy. It is endlessly poured out to us. I don't know if you remember the days of using whiteout. Remember you'd use that little, that little bottle of whiteout and you would try to blot something out. You made a mistake, you'd blot something out and then you'd write something in it, its place. 
Did you ever have that experience where you look at that bottle? That bottle was tiny. You'd buy the bottle and, and you would think, man, these people think so highly of me that these are the only mistakes I'm ever going to make. I'm going to unscrew this. It would just usually give you like three or four dabs on your paper. Done. I only make three or more, four mistakes in my life. There we go. Sometimes I think we look at Jesus like that little bottle of whiteout and we think, you know what, God, you've given me a little bit, but you need to know I sin way more than you can blot out my sin. I'm going to need more than this. And Jesus says, I'm not giving you my blood in a bottle. I've poured it out for you endlessly so that you could be cleansed forever. Look at how this leper comes to Jesus. He knows he's unclean. He admits he's unclean. And he goes to Jesus. That's the first step in getting clean is to admit that you're not. And then the second step is to go to the only one who can cleanse you. And this man finds that even though he wondered, would Jesus have the love and compassion to heal me? I know he can, he has the power, but will he love me enough? This man found that Jesus has more than enough of both. He has more than enough power, more than enough compassion. And so I want to plead with you. Go to Jesus now. Go to the only one who can make you clean and he will make you clean. This leper should convince us all of Jesus's love for us. And that should be enough. But how much more so should we be convinced of the love of Jesus when we have the cross and the empty tomb to clearly show us the power and the love of Christ? And so now, because of the cross, we can say, since I know you are willing, Jesus, please make me clean. And my friends, he always will. Father, we thank you so much for this text that shows us so clearly the compassion of our Savior. And I pray for those in this room that struggle to admit their need or they struggle to own the fact that they have sin that can be dealt with at the cross. They struggle to believe you have the power. Maybe you want to cleanse us. Maybe you want to forgive, but you just don't have the power or the authority. And so we need to work as hard as we can. No, that's not true. God, even in this section, Jesus heals this man and then he sends him away to do some work, but not in order to be cleansed, but because he's already been cleansed. And for many of us, we would say, I know that you are all powerful. I just don't know if you love me. I don't know if you are compassionate towards me. I know that you can. I just don't know if you're willing. And Father, this is such a reminder to us that spiritually you are more than willing. For the joy that was set before you, you endured the cross, despised the shame. You gave your life for me, a wretch like me. Therefore, I'm convinced of your love in the midst of trials around me, in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of prayer requests that we would pray where you say, no, I'm not going to do that. And it's devastating for us. We still know in the midst of that, that you are good. You love us. And that you are working for our greatest good and for your greatest glory. So Father, as we stare at the cross and the compassion that you have for us. And we remember through these elements and we partake together of the Lord's Supper. We do so admitting our need. We hold these elements so close because we admit we are guilty in need of saving. We are sinners deserving of judgment and death. But you, by your grace, 
have made a way for us not to die. You've traded places with us, just like you did with this leper, but you've done it spiritually. You've taken our place on the cross. You bore our sin in yourself so that our sin could be condemned and the just penalty that we deserve would be poured out on another so that now we can be forgiven, we can be cleansed, and we're free. Father, as we sing and confirm these realities to our souls, I pray that you, by your grace, would show us Christ as we prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper, that you would show us the compassion that he has for us and that we would cling to him, the one who is all-powerful and all-compassionate and all-good. We pray in his name. Amen.